Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the things you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me as always is the guru, Duncan Castles. And when we say we bring the news before it becomes news, we can certainly say uh, that on this pod, it was a month ago that we reported Roy Hodgson would be leaving Crystal Palace. In fact, Duncan reported a year ago that Palace tried taking him out of the manager's job at the club, as well as the fact um, that we also reported two weeks ago that Harry Kane was keen to leave Tottenham Hotspur and that Manchester United were extremely interested in signing him. So, if you know what you want and when you want it, the Transfer Window podcast is the place to be. Today we are going to be talking about Manchester United, we're also going to be talking about Manchester City and Crystal Palace and uh, giving you exclusive news on all the breaking stories. Duncan, one of United's long-term sort of targets is the French international defender, Raphael Varane. Uh, it's a strange one because obviously uh, about, I think, a year ago, uh, there was a conversation between Florentino Perez and Ed Woodward where uh, on almost the last day of the transfer window closing, um, United tried to make a bid to take Varane then. Varane since uh, has expressed doubt over his Real Madrid career and you have news for us with regards to the um, current situation with Varane and Madrid as well as a possible move. Yeah, look, he's a player that Manchester United have been interested in signing for a long time, understandably, because he's been one of the top central defenders in European football for a long time. Moved to Real Madrid at 18 years of age. He's been there 10 seasons. He's been in the first team that whole uh, period. He's been a first choice for the majority of that period. Someone that um, Jose Mourinho actually promoted into the first team to quite a bit of controversy at the time, putting him in ahead of of Pepe um, during his his Varane's first season at the club. And and United, as you say, have had several attempts. Um, the most famous one being in two thousand eighteen. Um, in the the summer of discontent for Jose Mourinho and uh, Ed Woodward and the Glazers, which not that long afterwards ended up with uh, with Mourinho being sacked by Manchester United, um, and one of the central points of that summer of discontent was Mourinho wanting a new centre back in at the time, uh, and uh, Manchester United failing to sign one. Um, after the window, Ed Woodward briefed. Um, a couple of Manchester United regular journalists as to what they'd done in the transfer market and the attempts he'd made to sign players and the reasons that uh, they hadn't satisfied the manager's request for improvements in certain areas. And one of the things he briefed was that he'd made an attempt to buy Rafael Varane over breakfast in the United States with Florentino Perez a few weeks before the, uh, the, the season proper began. Um, and was shocked, um, apparently, to discover that Florentino Perez wasn't interested in selling his uh, one of his two 
key central defenders over breakfast two weeks before the uh, the window finished, but that uh, that according to Ed, he'd been ready to spend a hundred million uh, to make that deal happen if only Florentino had been open to the sale. Well, Varane's well aware of that, and Varane is also aware that he is now in a in a strong position. Um, he has one year left in his contract. Um, he's twenty eight years of age. He um, is wanted by Real Madrid and um, Madrid, I can tell you, have in fact made him an improved offer to uh, sign a new long-term contract at the club, um, which would pay him, guarantee him 7 million euros a year after tax. So it's a very substantial deal for the player. Um, Varane and his father, who is his main advisor, have said, we don't want to make a decision on that during the season. Um, we'll come back to you at a later stage. Um, my guidance is that Varane and, and Father are playing a very careful game here. They know that uh, with just one year of contract left, if they were to stay at Real Madrid for that final year, they would be able to secure, they would expect to be able to secure a higher salary than seven million net as free agents in a year's time. Um, and they know that Madrid want to keep them and have already made a substantial offer. And they know that other clubs, including Manchester United, are interested in signing the player. Um, Madrid's position is we want to keep this player. However, if he will not sign a new contract this summer, then we, it is better that we sell him. Um, don't want to lose a talent of that level for no transfer fee in a year's time. They obviously also have an issue with Sergio Ramos, big standoff between the president and Ramos over um, the value of contract that Madrid are offering him to stay. Um, Madrid would like to retain him, but they don't want to uh, further empower him by giving him uh, a pay rise and a, and a long-term deal to remain. So you've got two, two of your first-choice centre-backs' um, futures in doubt, and that's why Madrid are have a deal in place to sign David Alaba from Bayern Munich um, to add into their defence come him coming from Bayern Munich as a free agent in the summer. Now, Florentino Perez's valuation of Varane, if he has to sell because Varane won't sign a new contract, is 60 million euros. So you are looking at a, a substantial deal when you add transfer fee. Let's say you could negotiate that down to 50 plus a five-year contract at seven million net um, or more uh, to convince them to move. Um, I think United are right to be pursuing this. I think uh, if, they can, if they can get Varane, if they can manage to do that deal, it's a substantial upgrade on, on the defence uh, in an area which, which has been a major weakness for the team, despite the amount of money that's been spent on it under the current manager. Um, over 150 million pounds just in transfer fees uh, for Anwan Bissaka, Harry Maguire, and Alex Telles. Uh, the the contract that made David de Gea the best paid player in the Premier League that was awarded um, last year, but they're now in a position where they're uh, they're looking to move de Gea out and and replace him as as first choice goalkeeper. Huge amount of investment 
for players that Solskjaer and in position Solskjaer has identified players that he's wanted to bring in yet this season they've conceded 42 goals so far in 36 Premier League games um, which is uh, certainly one of the worst records in the big six if you go through the, the teams in the division Manchester City, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal have all conceded less goals than that Liverpool the same number and you can go all the way down to 17th place Brighton who have conceded the same number, 42 goals as Manchester United have. So there is work to be done there. There are improvements needed because money's been spent badly. I think the difficulty is, can you actually convince Varane um, to leave? They are, him and his father are encouraging um, these offers. They're also encouraging Paris Saint-Germain, they're encouraging Chelsea, anyone really who can put the money down on the table. But there is, within Madrid, there is a a feeling that Varane will ultimately decide to extend. So it's certainly not clear cut that he will definitely leave the club and definitely accept uh, an offer to go to Manchester United or one of those other suitors rather than just use it as a way to to organise the best financial terms at Madrid this summer or wait another year and, and look for even better personal terms in a year's time. A certain sense of deja vu about this, Duncan, because uh, Sergio Ramos, when he was negotiating or renegotiating his contract at Real Madrid, used interest from Manchester United to ensure that he got a better deal. Uh, it now seems that uh, Varane is employing uh, the same Nico Gaetan ruse that we've often talked about on the podcast of uh, getting a better offer from Madrid in order to stay rather than actually having a, a real motivation to leave the Santiago Bernabeu. However, with Manchester United, though, this is a very, very crucial summer window. We reported on the podcast two weeks ago that the Glazers had authorised the purchase of a marquee player. We told you that Harry Kane was their number one target. and. That would be to placate fans coming back into the stadium against protests that we've seen repeatedly against the Glazers in recent weeks with regards to ownership and the way that they manage the club. Now, Harry Kane confirmed our story by his representative's briefing media on Monday of this week that Kane had asked to leave Tottenham uh, and also that United and City and Chelsea were interested in signing him. Our information, Duncan, is that in actual fact, United are the only club so far to have entered into any serious negotiation with Kane's representatives regarding a contract which could be worth around £300,000 per week. Substantial upgrade on what he earns at Tottenham Hotspur right now. We'll go on to Manchester City a little bit later in the podcast, uh, as well as Chelsea with regards to uh, any interest in Kane. However, at the moment, I mean, the idea that United would spend money on both Varane and Kane, I mean, it's it's very ambitious if that were the case. Uh, Although I do have a feeling that perhaps Kane would be the priority. Um, And certainly... 
again, having spoken to uh, senior people at Manchester United, even though Eds and Cavani signed a new one-year contract, they don't look upon Cavani as the answer, if you like, uh, in terms of challenging seriously for uh, major owners, and I mean the Premier League, Champions League, etc. Uh, Cavani has had his problems this season in terms of coronavirus and injury, but Kane would be seen as someone who would be could be alternated with Cavani or even play together. And that would be some partnership, actually, if you think about it, because they're, quite, they're sort of different players, but they would certainly have an understanding given that the way they both play. So what do you think? I mean, do you reckon that Kane would be more likely than Varane? I think a lot of it depends on how much the Glazers feel they have to provide to um, pacify the supporters. Um, the the Glazers Out movement, the um, Not A Penny More campaign has made a, a very strong initial impact. Um, it's cost United uh, a sponsorship deal they were working on with the Hutt Group, um, which was valued at £200 million over 10 years. Um, there's a lot of activity going on with fans um, targeting other commercial partners of, of Manchester United using Google Ads to to click on um, and charge those commercial partners money for um, to they have to pay to Google every time that the ad is clicked, but not buy any um, product from them. They are now targeting Team Viewer, the new main shirt sponsor that that's coming in. Um, You've seen also the the main external shareholder of of Manchester United, um, the the Linzel Train Investment Company. Um, their head investor Nick Train talking about the decision to get involved in the Super League, um, and uh, stating to his investors that they um, they demanded a meeting with Manchester United and also Juventus. Uh, to find out what had been going on and and putting out a public statement that we continue to monitor events closely as they unfold while considering their implications for our investment case. Now, Lindsay Train owned 27% of the A-class shares in Manchester United, the ones with the lower voting rights that are available in the New York Stock Exchange, which means they effectively own 7% of the club. So they have the ability to influence the share price quite significantly. If they were to decide to step away um, off the back of Super League and off the back, although Train does not mention this, but off the back of uh, the, the, the fan protests against the club, that would affect the valuation of Manchester United um, and affect the ability of, of the Glazers to make a, a large profit on the club um, going forward, whether to sell their, their share. So I think it's very open. I think um, tonight's game against Fulham will be interesting to see how the supporters respond in the stadium, those that are allowed in. What happens out outside the stadium? You've got this now fortress Old Trafford that's been set up to keep protests away from the ground after they, this, this group managed to, to have the, the Liverpool match suspended. Certainly at the moment, it's in the Glazers' interest to look as though they are trying to get these deals done and to work on the deals in a way that the, the players involved um, think they're trying to get the deal done. Um, obviously, as you're reporting, they have gone in quite an advanced 
way with Harry Kane and that they've got the framework of a contract sorted out. Um, there's no doubt Solskjaer would like that to happen. There's no doubt that other members of the coaching team would like that to happen. It would be a, a significant improvement to what is already a very strong attack. Um, if you go back to the podcast where we discussed this approach for Kane, we talked about how he had, could fit into that attack in, in a number of ways because he's broadened his game out, having worked under Mourinho and being used um, almost in a, a starting midfield position. Um, and having one of the most productive um, seasons of his career, 22 goals, 13 assists. There is a real opportunity here because Kane wants to move. Kane is pushing to get out. He wants to go to somewhere where he can win trophies. He's seen the club miss that opportunity to end the 13-year trophy drought where they sacked a manager who he has uh, praised and talked about how good his relationship was and how he enjoyed working with them in the week of the final. I, I mean, I don't think Tottenham have done themselves any favours there by um, dispensing with someone that, that, that their two best attacking players um, rated highly and enjoyed working under and then losing that, that, uh, that League Cup final winning opportunity. They are in a position of strength in the sense that they have them under contract until 2024. It would be a very, very expensive deal to make happen. Um, on the other hand, we know and we can see that Tottenham need to, to restructure so that if you can put a big enough fee on the table for Tottenham, if Harry Kane is prepared to push hard enough to get out um, and Tottenham feel that they won't get the same level of performance from him, um, if he leaves and I remember clubs were trying to sign him last summer and uh, and Mourinho played quite an active role in persuading Kane to stay for another season last summer and not to push for a move but if you get in a situation where Kane decides to be aggressive about it and the money's on the table to to make that big overhaul of the squad which is clearly needed then it's going to be an interesting decision for Daniel Levy to make. Tottenham are briefing he's not for sale, they've no intention of letting him go and they certainly don't want him to go to an English club. Um, it's it's a fascinating summer, but I don't think it. I don't think it's a it, it's a clear and obvious um, Manchester United are going to buy an expensive centre back and going to buy an expensive centre forward and going to reinforce in midfield where they want another player and sign that back up right back. They want to put pressure on Wan Bissaka. I think it will be um, it will be judged each deal on its merits. Um, and also on what the Glazers feel they need to do to calm the fans down. Well, the thing we do know about the Glazers, Duncan, is they don't put their hand in their own pocket to pay for players. So when it comes to <laughs> spending money, um, they just look at it as an investment, which hopefully will return profit for them. On Harry Kane, uh, it has been widely reported, as we mentioned earlier, uh, there is interest from Manchester City and Chelsea. However, it is our information at the Transfer Window podcast that there have been no uh, serious or indeed in-depth discussions with either club about Kane and what uh, his contract may be, never mind what the fee will be as well. Manchester City, who recently renewed Kevin De Bruyne's uh, contract, to include five years from now, despite his age, 
on uh, a salary of around £300,000 per week are prioritising renewals for two of their other most important players, Ryan Sterling and Gabriel Jesus. And we have been told that Kane is not a priority for them. Uh, Pep Guardiola uh, believes that having played a full season and won the Premier League title again without uh, much assistance from their main striker and record goal scorer Sergio Aguero, that they are quite well suited to how they play and can compete uh, without necessarily having to spend such a huge amount of money uh, on a central striker. Something he did say, to be fair, uh, Duncan, um, in a recent pre-match press conference, he said that it would not be something that he believed that the club would be in a position to do. And uh, what I'm told is that they would prefer to uh, purchase at a younger age uh, a striker who could be developed um, and also someone who obviously was cheaper, not just in transfer fee, but also in wages. Uh, while um, using either uh, Jesus or a false nine, as Guardiola has been using for uh, probably almost half of the games this season, not playing with a recognised central striker. So for City, it does not seem to be the case that Kane would be uh, someone they would compete with United for, though they are not ruling out being in the race for, but at the same time, uh, they do not have the same record of spending outlandishly that Manchester United have had over the past five years. Their budget tends to be uh, spent across a plethora of players rather than one particular player. Um, as far as Chelsea are concerned, they feel that they've got enough attacking players. Uh, yes, if Tammy Abraham uh, wants to leave and they do sell him, they will probably recruit at centre-forward, but again, like City, not in that stratosphere of you know £120 million plus, maybe up to £150 million plus, that Daniel Levy is sure to ask for Harry Kane. Duncan, do you think that that's a mistake by Manchester City? Because when Aguero leaves, that's going to leave a big hole, even though he's not contributed as much this season as he has in the last 10 years. But the their highest goal scorer this season is Ilkay Gundahan with uh, 12 goals, I think. And after that, it is Ryan Sterling with 10. And that must be something of an unusual um, historical statistic with regards to a team who wins the top division. Yeah, I think, look, they, they have won the division without having that central striker there. Um they do feel they need to to have a replacement for Aguero and they have to have the option to play a different way, which is understandable because generally in football, you come across a system that works um, and catches the opponents out sufficiently that you can win the title um, as Manchester City have done. And they've done it in a year where basically all of the rivals have gone backwards apart from Manchester United who uh, will get their highest points total um, under Solskjaer, but still aren't at the level that they got to in 2018. So, yes, if, the, if this is the summer to recruit, and it's certainly the summer to recruit for Manchester City because they and Paris Saint-Germain have a massive advantage in having the nation-state budgets behind them. Um, they can afford 
uh, to the extent that UEFA will let them pump money into the transfer market and financial fair play is being moderated um, to take advantage of, of the cheaper prices and, and to try and get players in um, while their opponents cannot do that. Um, which is why they're looking at Erling Haaland as, as one option, who will be, uh, I think, effectively in a similar price range as, as, uh, as Harry Kane. Um, and yes, they will have to go substantially over their, their record transfer fee to sign Haaland or, or Kane. But look, they, they haven't had any problems about putting massive amounts of money. They have the most expensively assembled squad in the history of the game. Um, they have the highest wage bill in the Premier League. Um, they have spent well over 40 million euros on players in every position. Look at last summer where they, they, they signed two centre-backs, um, one of whom, Nathan Aki, has, has barely played, albeit he's, ha- he's had uh, injuries um, during the season, but uh, he was over 40 million. Um, Ruben Giash con- considerably more. You go through that back line, they're supremely expensive players in, in the context of Premier League and, and uh, European football. Um, I don't think we should take Guardiola too seriously when he says, oh, our club don't have the wherewithal to, to put down a huge transfer fee for one player. Um, I think if the player presents himself, who they think is the right option this summer for one of those positions, then they will spend the money if if the money needs to be spent. Uh, I don't think they're going to avoid um, a 100 million fee just for the sake of being able to say we didn't spend 100 million on, on a player. Um, the question is which one's best? And look, if you go for Harry Kane, I think you have the finished product there and you, I think you have someone who would fit well into Manchester City's system given the, the range of his play. But you're, you're also buying someone who's in his late 20s and has a, a bad injury record. You know, he, he's almost guaranteed on, on recent seasons to miss a chunk of games with, with ankle issues. So that would be a consideration. If they decide to go for Haaland, they decide Haaland's the right answer, then you're looking at someone that you have 10 years uh, football from potentially. Um, and that's more in the pattern in which City have recruited throughout the Abu Dhabi era. They tend to go for supreme talents in their um, early 20s and with the expectation that they'll keep them for two uh, long-term contracts and, and spread the, the eventual cost of the transfer fee over them. Um, they're looking at a few options and uh, I think they will examine exactly how the market's going, what Barcelona managed to do, whether Barcelona can change that bid that they've already made for Haaland that you reported last week uh, into a higher level offer, whether someone else will come in with a higher level offer for him. They'll look and see what happens with Kylian Mbappe. Um, They'll look and see what happens with Mo Salah. If Mbappe leaves Paris Saint-Germain and Salah gets certainly his agent's wish, his agent's been working very hard on proposing Salah as the as the replacement for Mbappe should he leave, um, how that affects the market, um, knowing that they have as strong a position as anyone um, with the exception of their Qatari rivals in terms of finance to be able to do these deals. 
just occurred to me, Duncan, um, for those of a certain age, which I certainly am, watching the Generation Game, which was a TV uh, game show in the 70s and 80s, Bruce Forsyth had a catchphrase, which was scores on the doors. And I think the catchphrase of the Transfer Window podcast is going to be Duncan's, which is the most suspensively assembled squad in the history of the game. <laughs> If it was like, if it was like, it's a catchphrase now, and uh, certainly given by our Twitter feed, it certainly seems to be the case with our listeners as well. Um, Look, it, it, it's a we shouldn't ignore it. We, we have this this praise for what Manchester City have done this season. Um, people talking about whether it's the best Guardiola team ever. He's doing it with better resource than anyone else in a season where games are condensed, so there's more pressure put on your resources. What a surprise that the team that I've got two first choice players in every position who signed 40 million euro plus reserve defenders um, come out and top during that season. Yes, what Guardiola has done in terms of shaping the way the team plays is excellent, but you'd expect it to be excellent because he's the most expensively acquired coach um, with the best resources, with an entire club built around him. And, and football had the opportunity um, to put some kind of rain on nation-state spending. UEFA tried to do it. They banned Manchester City from the Champions League for two years for another breach of financial fair play rules. On top of all this money, they've broken the competition regulations of every governing body they play under. And here we are um, at the end of the season with Manchester City in the Champions League final. Um, and uh, you would have to say favourites to win the Champions League final. Um, and they, you know, they bought their position there and they paid a lot of money to lawyers um, to ensure that the the UEFA verdict on their um, breaches of fundamental competition rules was overturned by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. Uh, partially overturned, we should say, because they were still found guilty of breaching FFP, but the, uh, the, uh, the ban on the competition, the fundamental punishment, was removed. Have you seen the video, Duncan, of um, the City title celebration party? And Pep smoking his cigar. Yes. It has been suggested to me on social media that he was serenading you when he was singing Don't Look Back in Anger. <laughs> <laughs> he, to be fair, he's got a decent voice, the boy, <laughs> as, well as, being, as well as being a decent football manager. <laughs> so there we go. Manchester City uh, prioritising renewals, but also looking for a striker. I would say that Duncan's correct that perhaps Erling Haaland is much more of a fit for City uh, than Harry Kane. Um, and perhaps that will be uh, a story that we will certainly be bringing you on the Transfer Window podcast. Duncan, um, as always, you are completely uh, the touchstone of uh, Portuguese football and its influence over Europe. And uh, apparently... Bruno Fernandes's agent, who, uh, let's face it, made an absolute hash of his move for about six months, but finally got it through. And, it, and certainly he's been outstanding for Manchester United uh, in his time there. He's now uh, punting a different client. 
Yeah, I, I think Miguel Pino would have a different view of that, given the commission he got from the deal and and the the move. That oh, I don't think he's unhappy. No. <laughs> um, yes, he he represents Nuno Mendes, the eighteen um, year old left back at Sporting, um, who's been a regular in the first team this season. Already full international for Portugal, um, one meter eighty four, very much the modern uh, left back, and. Um, you you will have seen some stories uh, in the past week. The the first of which um, strongly uh, involving Manchester City uh, and saying that Manchester City had been in extensive talks and were were working on uh, bringing Nuno Mendes to the club in the summer as uh, their new uh, first choice left back. Um, there's a certain film a certain familiarity here with what happened with Bruno Fernandes. Um, if you remember, probably the first story of Fernandez moving to England was one in which a number of uh, quite prominent reporters off the back of uh, information coming out of Portugal said that City had a deal in place to sign Bruno Fernandes. Um, we did a podcast at the time explaining that there was no deal, that City weren't interested in buying the player and that uh, the information had been put out in order to create a market for Bruno Fernandes and, and actually with the target market was Manchester United and what better way to try and get Manchester United to buy a player than say that Manchester City are close to doing a deal. It didn't work that summer, but eventually um, Manchester United did the deal. Um, that I am told from people very familiar with the situation at Sporting, um, is the strategy here again that uh, that there is a, a belief that they can move the player to Manchester United? It suits them to have Manchester City linked and say um, a transaction is cl- is close to taking place. That Mendes has been offered to Manchester United. Um, unfortunately, I think it's a harder deal to do this time because at least with Bruno Fernandes, United needed a creative midfielder. They needed a player of his type. Currently, they have obviously Luke Shaw, who Solskjaer loves as a left back um, and and uh, goes out of his way, I think, to praise at, um, at almost any opportunity. They bought Alex Tellish um, at quite a substantial fee and, and certainly high wages last summer to put pressure on Shaw. Um, the only way you could see them being interested in Mendes would be if they were able to move Tellez on after just one season and bring him in to compete with Shaw for that position. My information is that he's not a priority for Manchester United. Um, it would be a very expensive deal. Uh, Sporting uh, put Mendes on a new contract in December running until 2025. Uh, they are briefing that they want to achieve uh, a record club record transfer fee for him were they to sell. They are open to selling this summer. He's basically the most valuable asset they've got that they think they can they can cash in on and relatively easily replace in the team. But uh, to get a record fee, you again, you go to the Bruno Fernandes transfer and Manchester United paid a guaranteed 55 million uh, transfer fee. 10 million easy variables, 50 million difficult variables and a 10% sell-on clause. So that's a very high watermark to reach. Um, 
as is always the case, uh, the people associated with sporting will say there's probably room to negotiate down, but they don't think it would be substantially below 50 million euros, perhaps a base of 45 million is what they'd accept for the player. Um, so there is an interest from Manchester United, but not a priority. Um, and uh, I think a lot of this here is being driven by Bruno Fernandes' agent, Nuno Mendes' agent, same guy, and uh, with the authority of Sporting, who would like to generate a market for the player this summer at a very high price. Well, it has to be said, Duncan, Luke Donner is certainly playing very well um, at the moment, so displacing him uh, would be difficult for any player coming in. And also, Jao Cancelo has been playing very well for Manchester City. So I think Amigo may have a difficult selling job on his hands with regards to getting his client, uh, certainly first-team football, regularly at either Manchester club. Now, you know that here on the Transfer Window podcast, we don't like to blow our own trumpet, mainly because if Duncan and I did blow our own trumpet, it would sound very bad. But we do like to uh, remind you of things that we have reported in the past uh, which have certainly been proven to be the case and it was more than four weeks ago that we told you that Crystal Palace uh, would be looking for a new manager and that Roy Hodgson would not be uh, in charge next season and indeed uh, Hodgson has in the last uh, 12 hours uh, said that he will not be uh, at Palace next season, uh, that he wants to take some time out. Uh, He's now over 70 and believes that his wife and family deserve more time with him. Although, interestingly, didn't um, at any point say he wouldn't take another job, which is quite interesting. Uh, Duncan, the uh, three candidates who are being mentioned that we also have reported on as well uh, some weeks ago are Sean Dyche. Uh, Eddie Howe and Frank Lampard. Uh, would you say there is a order of merit there with regards to who might uh, be the favourite to get the job? I think it's a complicated situation because there is no kind of clear leadership at, at Crystal Palace anymore. As we talked about in that podcast where we said that Frank Lampard had been approached for the job and that um, Steve Parrish was, was driving a move to uh, revolutionise I think is too strong a word but radically change the way Crystal Palace work um, he needs to go ahead from the American majority investors to do that um, he feels that under Hodgson although they, they have been successful in remaining in the Premier League that the, the average age of the first team has got too old that it's very difficult to take advantage of Palace's location as a London club to sign young, talented players and promote them through the team. Um, that's the model he would like to move towards and, and, and is conscious that were they to get relegated with the kind of squad profile they have at the moment, it would be very difficult to sell players off um, and they could get caught with a substantial wage bill in the championship and uh, maybe struggle to get back up and then lose Premier League status for a while. So that's that's what he's been thinking about. They thought seriously about changing last summer and, and looked at candidates then, eventually decided to 
retain Hodgson, I think partly because of COVID and, and uh, you know the uncertain scenario they were working in. Better to stick with the 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 devil, you know, in those circumstances. Now the the button has been pushed. Um, Frank Lampard's been approached that there you get a young attacking manager. Um, my understanding is that Eddie Howe, um, at least his representatives, are keen on speaking to Crystal Palace and, and, and weighing that opportunity against the one he has been offered at Celtic, um, allowing him to remain in the, the Premier League and remain living in the, the south of England. Um, Sean Dyche is an interesting one because Dyche is unhappy at Burnley. Um, there's been a change of ownership there, question marks over the amount of money that will be made available to invest in the team. Um, he's kind of Roy Hodgson um, in in ginger with a with a broader waist. Um, he's you know the the style of football is not is not the one that would fit with that Steve Parish model of of playing a more attractive game. Um, and okay, Dice uses more younger players, so you might be might be able to to take advantage of the recruitment system there but it, it's not a it's not a massive evolution in where they are with Hodgson and um I, I wonder if they end up uh recruiting outside that circle um and maybe look to an overseas manager whether they get proposals coming to them um now the job's formally available that that they find more interesting what what's your feeling on Frank Lampard, who is currently being listed as the bookmaker's favourite, but um, I think we said in the original podcast it might not be the ideal position for Lampard to take on after Chelsea. I don't believe that um, Lampard is necessarily rushing to get into another manager's job, Duncan. Um, uh, His uh, baby son was born a few weeks ago. Um, He has been in a position where uh, he has had a very, very intense two and a half years, one at Derby and then 18 months at Chelsea uh, as his first experience in management. He also has a very young daughter, uh, Patricia, um, and he, I think, is enjoying his time with his young family. His two other daughters who are older, obviously, um, but he's enjoying his time with his family. That's not to say that he's not open uh, to an interesting offer. Um, there certainly is interest from Celtic, ironically enough, when you consider Eddie Howe uh, as well. But uh, I don't think that he is in a position where that he'll necessarily uh, go into a project that he doesn't think that he's got a great chance of making progress or succeeding in. And at this moment in time, uh, you're right in what you say, Palace have an ageing squad. They've got players who are on six-figure salaries per week who can't justify those salaries So they're, and therefore uh, they're going to find difficult to move on. Um, there's also the uh, lack of, uh, as you said, uh, decision-making with regards to the difference in ownership uh, in terms of the project as well. So it's going to be quite a hard sell in terms of Lampard, uh, I think obviously in his last two jobs at Derby and then at Chelsea, um, there were certain circumstances, uh, let's say, that uh, made it very appealing for him on both counts. 
However, what I do know about Frank from knowing him for more than 20 years is that uh, he is work obsessed and he will not like to be sitting around the house every day, all day, uh, waiting for something to come along. And look, he, he could be open to persuasion if he believed that the um, circumstances and the situation was correct and that would be, he would be given enough of a mandate to do things his way. But at the moment, uh, Palace's academy don't appear to be producing players who are ready to come into the, the first team. And as I said, with um, a higher than average uh, squad age and their best player, Wilfred Zaha, still agitating for a move uh, this summer um, in terms of his own career, then it looks to me not such an attractive option for someone like Lampard, who, given his obvious reputation as a player, but also I think, you know, the job he did at both Derby and Chelsea, which for a young coach in his first two jobs uh, was was more um, than mediocre, that's for sure, even if he didn't uh, win a trophy. So uh, I would say that it's more likely Palace will recruit um, somewhere else. Uh, I'm told that Dyche is the favourite um, in terms of a safe pair of hands, an English coach. I agree with you about the style of football, but again, um, Palace have always been quite a traditional club. Um, and when they have employed foreign managers, it's not gone well for them, uh, strictly speaking. So I suspect Daesh may well be the actual favourite, despite the bookmakers' odds on for Lampard. Uh, I think that's maybe more borne out of the fact that he's available. And of course, he is a name. And we know that Steve Parrish does like to have some star names around him uh, to increase his own profile. So uh, we'll see. Um, but as I said, I'm not convinced um, that it will be anyone other than, than Daesh, that's for sure. I, I think it's a, it's a very risky job for anyone to take on because the, the idea of this is to change a style that's been very successful for Crystal Palace and the scope of what Crystal Palace are, which is to keep them in the Premier League. We all know the way Hodgson prepares his team. Um, it's very structured, it's safety first, and it works. They want a change, um, and they're asking the new person to come in, work with not substantially altered material. They're going to have to have a clever transfer market to, to alter that squad um, in a fashion that it can play um, more open football. And still stay in the division. So you're, you know, you're coming in almost with a with a hand tied behind your back because you can't just emulate what the previous manager did and made work. You're expected to be um, more expressive and and uh, more interesting in the way you play, and that comes with risks when when you have the quality of squad that that Palace have. So I can understand why you're looking more like at someone like Sean Dyche who is unhappy at Burnley and has probably done all that he is, it's possible to do with Burnley. Um, and in his case, Crystal Palace uh, and no doubt a pay rise involved looks like the, a, a more attractive option than, than his current job. I'd agree with you on that, Duncan. This is the first Transfer Window podcast of the week. And that means, of course, we have hero and villain to... Uh, 
conclude. And Duncan, I will ask you please to um, nominate your hero of football in the last few days. Very easy one this week. Um, Alison Becker, if you haven't seen the goal with which he, uh, he gave Liverpool a, a very good chance of retaining their place in the Champions League in the, in the final minute of the game against West Bromwich Albion, go and watch it and then watch his uh, five and a half minute interview afterwards um, and you will understand why he is here of the week. He does seem like a really good bloke, doesn't he? <laughs> He's very humble. <laughs> like like most Brazilians, I mean, I, I've been fortunate to to do a lot of work covering the Brazil national team. Spent a lot of time actually staying in the same hotel as a, as a Brazil national team, which is something you could you could do as a journalist, and it gives you a measure of how relaxed that that camp was. And yeah, I I, I think I struggle to think of of all the um, the coaches and players I met. Um, during that period someone who wasn't a decent bloke Well I remember having a night out um, in Japan after uh, Brazil reached the quarterfinals of the World Cup and uh, with uh, Ronaldinho uh, the real Ronaldo um, and several others uh, uh, and it was quite something I have to say and they were most welcoming and uh, paid the bill as well so more, more tales of that I can't tell because uh, they're probably younger listeners listening to this. <laughs> My villain of the week? Well, it's kind of a hero and a villain, Duncan. Um, Euro Telemans scored the winning goal in the FA Cup final, which won that trophy for the first time in Leicester City's history. How could he be a villain, you ask? Well, he's a villain to the Chelsea fans. Or maybe he's not. It's his agent, Peter Schmitz who apparently told Telemans when he was talking about his lack of goals in English football, just shoot and stick it in the top corner. And that's exactly what Telemans done at Wembley last Saturday afternoon. And apparently he actually had that same conversation with Brendan Rodgers at the team hotel on the night before the game. And Rodgers replied, sounds like good advice to me, Yuri. And uh, there you go. That's that's how you win an FA Cup uh, for the first time in your history by taking your agent's advice. Uh, but if you're a Chelsea fan, watch out, Peter Schmitz, because you will not be welcome near Stamford Bridge anytime soon. This has been the news before it becomes news. Please, if you have enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating on iTunes and engage with us on our social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and Twitter individually with Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. Until later this week, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. 